be seated. I've got really great news for you today. Uh, we're in the process of building a new website uh, for our church, and we hope to, to reveal the new website to you uh, in the coming weeks. I'm not going to set a date because you know how these sorts of things go, and I don't want to have to ask forgiveness for giving you a date, and yet the website is still in process. And we have a button, you know those buttons you find on websites? And it says, what to expect. And if you click on this little button on the home page, when it is up and running, you will be able to see all kinds of helpful information about what to expect. And this is really designed for people who are interested in attending Covenant or may be new to Covenant. Uh, what... Um, what is childcare like? Uh, do you have nurseries? Uh, what kind of a worship style uh, do you have? Where is this room and that room? Maybe a building layout. And so I got an idea to add something to this what to expect page on our new website by looking at another church website and it said what to wear. And I thought what a great idea. I think people need to know what to wear to church. Have you ever been to a place or to an event or a function and you're overdressed or you're underdressed? Hopefully you're dressed. It's, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? You kind of feel out of place. Maybe you've made reservations at a restaurant not checking if they have a dress code and you show up and you really can't get in because... There's a rather strict dress code, and you're simply out of compliance. And so let me tell you what our dress code is at Covenant. I came up with this, didn't even ask the session. So sorry, elders. We don't have a dress code at Covenant. Come as you are. Wear what you want. Wear something that's comfortable, that you feel is appropriate for you and your family. You know, I, I've always really wanted to preach in one of these new designer shirts that are designed not to be tucked in. And uh, if there's no dress code for you, <laughs> don't hold your breath. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty self-conscious. <laughs> I'll probably bow ties are enough for me. Uh, enough excitement. So we, want, we don't want clothing to be an issue of people coming to church here. Would you all agree with that? If you don't, sorry, but that's our, dress that's our dress code. We have no dress code. But here's a question I want us to consider today. It's really a very significant question. Is there a dress code for heaven? Is there a dress code to enter the kingdom of God and be a participant there at the table or the marriage feast of the Lamb? Is there a dress code? Is there an appropriate attire for getting into heaven? And Jesus answers this question today in Matthew chapter 22 and verses 1 through 14. And the answer he gives is yes. There is a dress code. So today we'll be looking at three things, the king and 
this wedding feast that he threw. We'll be looking at the invited guests and the guests that didn't know they were invited but suddenly got invited. And then we'll end by looking at the third point on your sermon outline somewhere in your bulletin booklet by looking at the, the appropriate attire for getting in to heaven. So before we, we read the passage this morning, would you pray with me? Our Father, as we consider this parable, we are grateful for how you're working in our lives. And, and Heavenly Father, we would pray that you would give us great uh, wisdom and insight as we consider these, uh, your words that are reflected in this parable. Lord, show us what keeps people out of the kingdom. Show us what is appropriate for being in the kingdom. And God, we trust you to work as you see fit for Jesus' sake. Amen. So here's the text, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. So you can open your Bibles and read along with me. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business. And while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them, the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to the servants, The wedding feast is ready. But those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend... How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's look at the context that is around and the setting for this, this parable. Jesus gave this parable after he had triumphantly entered Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday morning and then between the time that he went to the cross. And so within those four days... Our Lord gave this parable, but he also gave two other parables that we find recorded in Matthew 21 and 22. And the reason he gave these parables is because during that time period between his triumphal entry and the crucifixion, the chief priests and the elders, kind of the religious elite of the day, challenged Jesus saying he had no authority to be teaching about the kingdom of God. And Jesus said... 
Well, let me show you in these three parables who lacks authority. And by the way, it's you, chief priests and elders, not me. So, for example, in the parable of two sons that you'll find in Matthew 21, 28 through 32, Jesus shows that the chief priests and the elders disobediently refused to respond to the message of God's messenger, John the Baptist. They failed to repent and believe in the promise of Messiah, in the message, the gospel that John the Baptist was proclaiming, a message of repentance. And then secondly, Jesus speaks the parable of the tenants, Matthew 21, 33 through 46, and there he rebukes the chief priests and the elders for rejecting God's prophets and the Son, as we see this to be the case in the record of the Old Testament where God's prophets were rejected time and time again. And the ultimate rejection was the Jewish people, Israel, and the religious elite rejecting Jesus himself, the Son. Then we come to the parable of the wedding feast. So a lack of repentance and faith and rejection of the Son will keep you out of the kingdom of God. Jesus says to the the, uh, chief priests and the elders, but also something else will keep you out of the kingdom. And in fact, Jesus' point is to say this is... The primary reason one is unable to enter the kingdom of God, the determining factor is this. We see it in verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. God's sovereign purposes in election ultimately determine who's in and who's out. And so today we'll look first at the king's wedding feast. First point on your outline, verses 1 and 2, we find Jesus saying that the kingdom of God is compared to a king who holds a wedding feast for his son's marriage. In verse 3, the king sent out his servants to go into the community and to invite these Guest. And in the ancient world, oftentimes, invitations would be hand-delivered to the guest. And then the one hosting the event would send out yet, yet waves and waves of servants to remind them of this particular party that will be taking place. And we see that reflected here in Jesus' uh, parable. Now imagine what the guest list was like. This is the king throwing a party for his son's wedding. So you can think that all the notable people in town, all the, the shakers and the movers, were part of this guest list. And these events typically, like a wedding feast, would last several days. So this was a big deal. I mean, this was a function that you just had to attend. And the story kind of builds the expectation that no one in their right mind would refuse to come to this particular wedding feast to reject this invitation. Now, there's something that we do need to see here is that this was the king inviting and it really was a little bit more than a request because it was the king. It was more of a command. And so it was really a big deal to thumb your nose at at the king and refuse to come. And because it was the king, surely this was going to be the gala event of the year. Quite a party, a royal affair of the prince 
celebrating his marriage to his lovely bride. And so to receive an invitation like this was a, was a great, great honor. What possibly would keep one from accepting the invitation and running to the party to celebrate? Well, we have the group of people called the invited guests in this parable. Let's take a look at the invited guests, the second point in your sermon outline. The invited guests are the guests that were expected to come. And as we look at what might Jesus, who might Jesus have in mind, well, it was the chief priest, the elders, and the Jewish people. They are the expected heirs of the kingdom of God. The Old Testament people, now the New Testament, uh, Israel as well. And so the king sends out two waves of servants. The first wave in verse 3 goes out. And they say, hey, invitation, remember, big gala event, come celebrate. And the text just simply says they refused to come. They would not come. And so then the king, after hearing that rejection, sent out a second wave of servants to say, hey, (laughs) remember, the king has invited you uh, to come to celebrate the wedding feast of of his son. And really the response of these invited guests is somewhat troubling because we see an escalation of dishonor for and rejection of the king himself. In in, in verses 5 and 6, the king says, hey, listen, servants, when you go out the second time to remind these invited guests to come to the party, here's what I want you to tell them. Everything is ready. See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they ignored it, and some ignored it, rather. Some said, hey, I've I've got to go to my farm. Can't make it. Others said, oh, my goodness, I've got some pressing business (laughs) to take care of. I can't make it. And it was even worse is that some even grabbed the servants by the scruff of the neck and killed them. Now, I hope when I send you an invitation that you don't come after me like that. They refused to come. And this reminds us of the parable of two sons, one of the other parables told between the triumphal entry and the crucifixion where one son refused to repent and believe in God's messenger. And in verse 7, let's look at the consequences of refusing the king's invitation to come and celebrate judgment, destruction. He sent his army out to destroy both the people and their city. This may be an allusion to the great cataclysmic event that happened in 70 AD where the Roman general Titus came and besieged Jerusalem, ultimately destroying the city and the, the temple, that event that is, that is one of the central events, second only to the cross of Jesus Christ in the, the, the new covenant era that shows the old order has come to an end and now the new has come in Christ Jesus. It could likely refer to the fact that in the Old Testament, the kings of Israel often sent their army to destroy the enemy and their city in judgment 
And so what's clear about verse 7 is that this king responded to being rejected twice because he gave a gracious offer. He responded in judgment. And this reminds us, would you say God is patient? Let's see those heads go up and down. Yes, thank you. But his patience has limits. Will you agree with that? And dear one here today, if you are like these invited guests and you have thumbed your nose at God's gracious invitation to come to Christ, he's being patient with you. And he is allowing time for you to see the error of your way and turn to Christ. But verse 7 tells us that there is a limit. And a time will come when the king will bring about judgment. Other guests in verses 8 through 10 were brought in. The king said, I, I really love this. I mean, the king wanted to have his banquet hall full. And so he says to his servants, go out onto the main roads and invite the good and the bad. <laughs> I don't care how bad they are. Invite them uh, to come in. This is a beautiful picture, dear friends, of the fact that that. God freely offers the gospel to good and bad. And those of us who are in the kingdom know that God receives the bad. Those who don't merit anything from God. Those who don't deserve it. And praise God for that. Praise God, he says, go, invite the bad. If he did, and I wouldn't be here. My hall will be full, and the glorious truth that's embedded in this that we don't have time to explore today is this, that every single person that God has chosen to be in this wedding banquet, in this wedding feast, will be in the feast, every seat taken, it will be full. The full number of the elect will be in his kingdom, be that person an elect bad sinner or an elect good sinner. Don't know if there's a difference between that category. And this reminds us of the parable of the tenants where God says, Israel, you've rejected my prophets and my son, and I will give the, I, I will give the vineyard to another, the Gentiles. Christ is freely offered. And here's the point. The free offer of the gospel is taught in passages like Matthew 24. And this is the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Romans 10, 13 and 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Romans 1, 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, when does this thing about the free offer of the gospel going out, the invitation going forward, come, come and, and be a part 
of the kingdom of God through Christ Jesus. And yet, how do people respond? Some people reject it outright, like we see in this parable. They have other things to do. They, they ignore it. Some people may accept the invitation, but with the wrong motive. Some people may feel pressured. Yes, I'll pray that prayer, or yes, I'll walk that aisle. Some people may say, hey, listen, appreciate the invitation, but I'm going to put it off because I want to live life and enjoy, and I'll deal with that when I get older. Does that sound familiar? Some people accept it, but they say, hey, wait a minute, I'll accept this invitation. I'm going to accept it on my own terms. And then there's some people that genuinely accept the invitation. And they enter the banquet. At the end of the day, there are only two responses to this invitation that we find here in the wedding feast that really is the free offer of the gospel going forth to all men. And it's either you reject it or you receive it. God has chosen very graciously to use this free offer of the gospel, what theologians call the general call as part of his means to save sinners like you and me. Verse 14, for many are called. That invitation has been going forth even in the Old Testament, hasn't it? To come and turn from your sin and believe in the promise offered of Messiah to come. And then we see the the promise, the call, the invitation going forth in the New Testament. And that invitation is going forth today. God is saying to you and to me, those who are already in, in the kingdom, He is saying to you and to me, this is your job. You are my servants. And I want you to go to the main roads. And I want you to invite the good and the bad. It matters not. Don't be prejudiced. And to go to the main roads equals to go into the world. As you live, as you go about your business, invite people to Jesus. You know, how they respond is not our business. It really, I mean, we care. We want people to know Jesus, right? But it really is not on us. How they respond is all on God. That's his business. He calls us to be the servants going to the main road to invite people to Jesus, to remind them of Jesus, to beckon them to come and live. How they respond is up to God. Well, let's now turn to that. God's business and how he deals with how they respond. We're now coming to the third point on your outline, the appropriate attire. The last words of the story really do tell the story. For many are called, but few are chosen. Why did the invited guests refuse to come? I mean, they had not repented, nor had they believed, like one of the parables told them. They did reject the son, as the other parable tells us. But ultimately, why the invited guests did not come was because of this determining factor that we see in verse 14, that they had not 
received what God had prepared that would gain them entrance into the kingdom. And then we ask the second question, why was this man in verses 12 through 13 thrown out? Someone got in and they got thrown out. Now that's a little disturbing, isn't it? But it's the same reason. They had not received what God had prepared for them to remain as a guest at the feast. Now, the king came in the banquet. This seems a bit odd to us because, you know, when we have a banquet, typically the host is there the door greeting everybody. But in this ancient culture, oftentimes the people would gather, they would sit down and eat, and then the host would come in. Here the king comes in, and I mean, he notices this one guy sitting out at one of the tables who is not dressed in wedding garments. He sticks out literally like a sore thumb. And in that culture, when one came to a wedding feast, one would wear the garment that was provided by the host, by the one throwing the party. And this particular wedding garment mentioned in this parable, it seems to be that the king himself made the preparations for all of his guests to have this wonderful garment to wear. So likely this man came in his own clothing and he refused. He, he, he said yes to the invitation, but he refused to put on this specially prepared wedding garment that was provided by the king, the host. And what I see here is that this man said yes to the invitation, but he came to the banquet in his own filthy rags. He came in his own righteousness is another way to say this. He came in a garment that was inappropriate for such a feast as this, for such an occasion as this. And how did the king respond? He took the man and had him thrown out into utter darkness. In other words, this man's fate was the same as the invited guests that didn't even accept the invitation. Judgment. So what in the world is going on here? In verse 4, remember the king said, See, I have prepared my dinner. Everything is ready. All the preparations has been made. Renee and I planned two weddings. And I want to say this. All the planning was primarily done by my wonderful wife Renee. My job, sign the checks. But in this parable, what's interesting is that it's not the wife of the king, the queen, that prepares this feast. It's the king himself, the father. It's really quite amazing. He's the one that made everything ready. He's the one that sent out the invitations. He's the one that made sure the appropriate garment had been prepared and was presented to the guests as they came. He's the one that did it all. Not my work, but yours, O Christ. This little statement in verse 4, everything is ready, is realized in Christ Jesus. His perfect 
atoning work, his saving work. That's the garment. That's the clothing that has been prepared for us. When we're brought into union with Christ, as J.C. referenced in reading that, that passage of Joshua in Zechariah, we, we are clothed with the saving work of Christ, his pardoning grace, his atoning work, his perfect righteousness is, is literally clothed upon us. And that's the garment that is fit for entering heaven and remaining as a guest at the table. And it's God sovereignly choosing, as we read in Ephesians 1, from eternity past to clothe his elect sinners with the saving work of Christ. And when one is clothed with this garment fit for this most special wedding feast, one is not only prepared and dressed and clothed to be a guest, but one is prepared and dressed and clothed to be the bride. The profound point of this parable is that the guest, the good and the bad, that, that were brought to the wedding feast and that were clothed in a garment fit are not only the guests, but they're the bride, the church. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him, and to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. That's what God does when he clothes the saving work of his son, Jesus Christ, upon elect sinners like you and me. And we not only gain entrance, but we're dressed to remain at the feast and never be thrown out. I uh, really want to relay to you something very, very important. <clears throat> it's a quote from my wife, Renee, the mother of our children. Renee said, it was the cutest little Christmas green short all outfit. It buttoned at the shoulders, went to his knees, and had a big red candy cane applique on the front. He wore a white long sleeve turtleneck shirt, white knee socks, and black and white saddle shoes. Renee had prepared that outfit. And she had dressed our son, our only son. And as he stood there looking so cute, this is what he said. This is stupid. <laughs> Translation, stupid. 
Renee said, no it isn't. <laughs> it's cute and you will wear it today. Well, I hate to tell you, but I actually kind of agree with Zach. Uh, but that wasn't my role. <laughs> I wasn't going to get in between a mother and her child, kind of like a mother bear and the cub. How are you dressed today? Are you appropriately dressed for that which has not only been picked out for you, but has been prepared especially for you to sit at the table, not only as a guest, but as the bride of Christ to be a part of his church? You know, so, so many people today respond like Zachary does for an outfit that has been especially picked out and provided when they, when they look at the saving work of Christ they respond I'm not wearing that that's stupid only a fool would wear that and they completely miss the point that this is an outfit that has been picked out and prepared by the king not just to look cute as a three year old but to be able to be there at the end of eternity when the church, the bride of Christ perfected is sitting around that table at that ultimate wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, clothed in the most precious garment that anyone can ever possess, the saving work of Jesus Christ. For many are called, but few are chosen. And for those who are chosen, God also changes their heart. And when someone's heart is changed, by the regenerating work of God the Holy Spirit, that outfit that God has provided is the very thing that we want to wear more than anything else. And that invitation that is issued is the one invitation that we want to accept more than anything else. And so you see, being in the kingdom, there is a dress code. It's being clothed to the saving work of Christ. And people may try to get in, but if they don't have that garment on them, they'll be thrown out. And I would just simply ask us to see the graciousness of God who invites and who does everything necessary for us to have the appropriate attire to spend eternity with him. And all that we've said today is declared in the Lord's Supper. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we reflect upon these truths, I would ask you to prepare us to celebrate this, this communion meal that actually anticipates what we read in Revelation 19 about the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where his church will be presented there around the table in perfectly brilliant clothing.
fit for such an occasion. I pray, Father, that you would remind us of your glory and your grace and that we would flee to you through Christ's sake. Amen.